Welcome to Telltales, an investing podcast hosted by Hunt Lawrence, Jason Wallace, and Mike Nicoletti. Each week, we discuss topics ranging from geopolitics and macroeconomics to energy and technology. You can sign up for our newsletter at telltales.us. That's T-E-L-L-T-A-L-E-S dot U-S for additional data and content you can use to follow along. The following conversation is intended for informational purposes only. You should always do your own work to determine if an investment is suitable for you. It's 3.30. I guess we can start. Let's go from the back of the 20 pages forward. The back is Exhibit C, oil demand and supply. I think it's pretty much acknowledged that the latest OPEC plus cut in production was anticipating lower demand. As you can see, uh, and for those who don't have the 20 pages, total demand for crude and other liquids is supposed to go up by about 2 million barrels a day from a, a little more than 100 to a little more than 102. And I think with the Saudis and the other OPEC ministers are anticipating is that it might be a flat year. And this is at a time when surplus capacity, mostly with Saudi Arabia and with Abu Dhabi, is something north of 2 million barrels. So the, the cuts, which only Saudi and Abu Dhabi will do, the others won't pay any attention probably, because a lot of them are un, under under producing against their quotas, will take that surplus capacity to something in excess of 3 million barrels. So is it positive for oil pricing? Yes. Does it mean that the forecasts of $100 oil, $120 oil that we saw when Russia invaded Ukraine, are those real long shots at this point? Yes. If you own oil companies that produce oil, you sell them because of recession concerns or whatever is going to curtail oil demand? No. If you're waiting to buy your favorite one, does it make sense to wait a little, little more? Probably. Let's switch to exhibit B, which is U.S. gas demand supply. Here, there's a troublesome trend. When it, you look at supply production, estimated here at 100, just over 100 bees a day, currently running 101, and it's only uh, April, there doesn't seem to be that much slowdown in gas supply responsive to pricing, which, as you can see down at the bottom, the average price for Henry Hub was $6.22, and it's currently $2.10, and the average for the year is $2.67. But that doesn't seem to be curtailing supply. Part of the problem is a fair chunk of the increase in supplies. You can see from the uh, table at top is from the Permian. That's associated gas produced with the oil. And so it's less of a price signal. You know, it, 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 if you own a gas stock, would you sell it? No. If you want to acquire one, Antero or EQT or Chesapeake, would you wait? Yes, probably. Or wait to add a position. P is LNG export. That is now 14 with the recovery of Freeport. There's at least another 
12 or 13 being built, which will be brought on in the next five years, say between now and 2028. Those will come on at the rate of about two bees a day per year. A little bit of a concern here, if we don't see dry gas production start down, would it be possible for dry gas production to go up as much as LNG exports? Well, of course, look at 22. In 22, well, look at 21. 21 dry gas production was 91.3 and 95.5 and 22, and it's going to be more than 100.5 at the current rate. I mean, that, that's production going up four or five bees a day per year. We need to see that start to flatten out in response to pricing. One of the problems is if you're running, if you're active in a gas area like the Haynesville and you're running a lot of rigs, you look at the futures and you can either sell forward or stay on hedge and hope to get it. You might be tempted to, to, to stay, stay with the rigs. I, I don't know. Exhibit A, U.S. government revenues and expenses. There's a good Wall Street Journal editorial this morning. The Congressional Budget Office, which is where these forecasts come from, had a re result out of the first six months. The Our government fiscal year end is September 30th. So the six months through March, the, the spending deficit or the deficit was $1.1 trillion. Here for the full full year to next September, it's 1.4. So hopefully that'll, but what the Wall Street Journal pointed out, increased spending all over. Now, the Republicans in Congress with a four-seat four majority are saying that there has to be some spending restraint in return for a debt ceiling upgrade. The Biden administration is saying absolutely not. I fear a collision here, and we'll see how it works out. A few people on either side of the political spectrum are saying there should be spending restraint, but we're going to have to hear that from the Biden administration. Otherwise, sometime in June, July, August, at some point, um, they're, they're, we're going to get into a situation where the Treasury announces it can no longer pay people. And this has happened before. The capital markets may may just discount it may already have discounted i don't know but it's something that that i think we have to keep an eye on we start at the front of the book all the time so i just want to start at the back page 20 and spend the next 10 minutes or so doing what we were doing last time and that is getting from michael and jason where they think amongst these companies which companies will be active using ai in other words, people in the tech industry say AI is potentially as significant as the development of the Internet. So if you go to page 20, is Uber, DoorDash, and Airbnb. Over to you, Jason. Did you see availability of AI, which you guys say is software, being usually helpful or, or the opposite with these three companies? Sure. It's, it's it's definitely going to be helpful in Uber's case. They, they've been trying to build self-driving cars for a while. I think they might have abandoned that attempt, but you know, the, one of their biggest costs is, is paying all the drivers. So if they can not have the overhead of paying drivers for all of the urban kind of travel, certainly that's, that's a huge impact to their business and in a positive way. DoorDash the same, you think? That one's a little tougher because everyone expects the your food to be delivered to your door. 
it's in the name, yeah. right? And and yeah. I think Domino's Pizza has tried it. They've had a an autonomous kind of delivery pizza van. It was more of an experiment, but I, I'm not really sure how that went. If you had to go out to the to the corner to grab the pizza yourself, or or what? So that's that's a little more of a challenge, and I think people may expect a, a personal touch there. I don't know. Certainly in, during COVID, they they didn't. They would rather people not touching their food. So Airbnb, go to Michael. Uh, I mean, uh, theoretically, you could with. Airbnb could have its own software, include everything available through Airbnb on the planet and respond to questions. I mean, theoretically, they, they could use it, I suppose. Oh, and I'm sure they will in, in one way, shape or form. Airbnb has done a good job of trying to change the consumer behavior in the way that they book trips and focus more on not just the destination as a city, but where you're going to stay that may drive you to a place you might otherwise not not go. So with that, they've been pretty experimental with the types of tools that they provided customers to discover new places. So I could see them using some generative AI, especially also in helping their host kind of do a better job of customer service too. So remember the other side of the platform is providing tools for the host to do a better job of running their small businesses essentially. So that also would be good sources for places to try some things out. I would just add that one of the first examples of OpenAI's ChatGPT was asking it to come up with a travel itinerary in a new city. So I'm sure Airbnb, as Mike said, they, they're focusing on the, the, the guest experience. I'm sure they were well aware of that, and they're, they're looking mm-hmm. at the same kind of thing. Exactly. They'd be candidates to go to NVIDIA, right? Because they, NVIDIA could deliver a whole system to them, right? Exactly, yep. And I think that's going to be most cases, aside from, you know, companies like Google, in most cases, it will make a lot more sense to go to somebody like NVIDIA. Right. Right. It has the software as well as the hardware capability. On the next page, Regeneron, presumably, scientists could could use, I mean, if if you took everything that was known about all diseases and all remedies and whatnot, and put them into your database, presumably scientists at a place like Regeneron would use a tool like that. Definitely. I mean, there's a lot about science that is very, I guess, iterative would be the right way to put it, and and kind of done in a one-off manner. And data resources typically aren't utilized super well. We've seen some really cool stuff, actually, from Google's AlphaFold project when it comes to predicting the way that proteins fold. The opportunities are pretty dramatic and the ability to simulate the way some of the stuff will interact within the body. So I, I know Jason's actually done some recent work on that. So Yeah, here I would add across the, these three companies is, is one, one use case for AI that I don't hear often talked about is to interact with autistic children. And, you know, they're, they're obviously a lot less comfortable uh, interacting with people but if we can create some sort of, and getting it FDA approved is a big challenge, but if uh, some sort of robotic figure for them to, to interact with, or even if it's just a text platform and, and text to speech, but an AI that they can you know, essentially be friends with and it can teach them things that they would otherwise learn from you know, a, a peer or a parent, but they might be more comfortable learning it from, from a computer. Right. 
CBS is trying to be everything to everyone. Um, you know, they are in the insurance business and drugstore business. Presumably, they could provide individuals or medical professionals with a huge database that they could tap into. The ultimate will be a, a database that you talk to rather than type into. But I would think for CBS, they, you know, they, they make quite a priority out of working in that area. Once again, using hardware and software from someone like NVIDIA or someone else or Microsoft or, you know, it seems to me there's going to be a business here trying to help these companies. And I guess you do this through your, through your cloud offerings, possibly put their own systems together to create a database that would be like the chat database, the open AI database, but it would just, it, it would be limited to a particular uh, subset, you know, like all the customers in our, or all the patients in our system or things like that. Or is that, is that too optimistic, do you think? No, I don't think it's too optimistic. I think CVS's unique position is that they've got payer data, provider data, and pharmacy data. And when it comes to solutions in healthcare, one of the reasons that the technology solutions tend to be so bad is that each part of the chain is sort of siloed. So CVS is in a unique position because they have most a, a good chunk of that data. They don't have the data from the pharmaceutical companies, but they have a lot of the data about its use, the effects, costs, et cetera. So uh, there's another piece to it of just designing programs that are maybe more likely to be successful at driving down the cost of care for a patient population. So, I th- you know, I think more of that stuff will continue. Within healthcare, I think anything that requires FDA approval it will be a very long time, you know, I hope I'm wrong about this, but I, I think it'll be a very long time before we see a lot of AI, especially generative AI involved in it. But anything that doesn't require that, I think is fair game and we'll hopefully see some really interesting stuff. Yeah. Same, I guess, would be true of United Health. I mean, you basically, I, I don't know this, but I suspect this, that the Medicare systems, the Medicaid systems without... United Health and the people that compete with United Health just would fall apart. I think an awful lot of the the capability there is provided by United Health. Yeah, and I would add about UNH um, that their Optum Health Group they they do a lot of patient interaction and telehealth and and that kind of stuff with through mobile apps and and there's there's probably some opportunities there for generative AI to you know essentially do a customer service kind of product. Mm-hmm. Right. Next page is Freeport, Albemol, and CF with uh, does ammonia, the largest in the world. Albemol does lithium, certainly the largest in our capital markets, and Freeport McMoran does copper. When we get to oil and gas, I'll say the same things. It's it just, I guess, my own commentary, and that is all the data that's available to the engineers and science and whatnot, to the extent that it could be cataloged in a way where it'd be more useful, which AI, you know, separate applications of AI might make the uh, people that try to work on, you know, ammonia plants or, or lithium production and processing facilities or in pre-port copper, might they make them a lot more productive. I 
I'd say the same thing about we're going to come to oil and gas producers. I would say the same thing about oil and gas producers. Anything to add there, Michael or Jason? Yeah, and any sort of industrial production, we're seeing much more IoT, Internet of Things devices, in order to track data. So whether it is a natural gas plant or a ammonia plant, there's more data in the system, and all of that can be used to, to run processes more efficiently. Right, right. FedEx and XPage, FedEx and UPS, I don't really guess have a view. They both must use huge amounts of technology to track their packages and whatnot. But I don't see an obvious application of AI there, but maybe maybe that's short-sighted. Any commentary? I think for anybody that has a customer, a consumer-facing business, customer service is an easy one to to apply some of this generative AI to because some of the automated customer service has been relatively bad for a long time. So I'd expect that a lot of customer service agents, whether you call on a phone or or engage via text message on a computer, um, are going to be more powerful than they have been in the past. And that'll probably improve customer experience. Right, right. Nike and Costco. Costco, of course, is an extremely well-run retailer. I, I would say that the one thing I see, and, and we'll stop in a second here and because we want to get into some some discussion of what recession does to the chip business. So, But just to finish off on page 17, one of the things I've seen on, on retailers, just, you know, just scanning newspaper articles, is uh, this idea that you'll have automatic checkout. In other words, the groceries or the socks or the t-shirts or whatever you buy you, you'll actually put them in a in a bin i guess and rather than have a a clerk checking them out there'll be technology will say you know that's 60 dollars worth of stuff sign here you know to to charge i guess that's not really ai but i mean that technology seems to be coming uh you know amazon has, has those whole food stores where you you walk in, you pick up the stuff, and you walk out. You don't even have to put it in a bin. Do you, do you guys have any commentary on that and, and who who benefits from, obviously, the retailer benefits because it's just like Uber uh, not needing drivers because personnel requirements will be down the store. But who else, who else would benefit from selling equipment into that development in our retail industry? So back in Jason and I's startup days, there was a, a company that we were relatively close to because they were maybe the, one of the only other ones that was using computer vision. And essentially they were doing a similar project to what Amazon was doing as far as the store you could just walk into and pick stuff up. Theirs was built around convenience and the concept was it's flooded with cameras and they ran a bunch of computer vision to detect objects and you could actually just walk right out of the store. Their early use cases were in apartment buildings. So if you were a resident of the building, it could recognize who you were. Maybe you had a key fob or something, and you really just walk in and pick up stuff from the, the kiosk. Expensive to operate, at least it's, it was back then. I'd expect those costs to continue to go down. Is it practical? Maybe. I mean, I, I always think about shopping from my own perspective, because I just don't really like to do it. So 
I'd rather a box just show up at my house in most cases rather than have to go into a store, whether you have to <laughs> sign up or not, or whether you have to pay it as cashier or not. But the driver to reduce labor costs is is certainly there, and and you're already seeing it at grocery stores today, right? With you know, it, all of our grocery stores except for one have more self checkout lanes than they do regular checkout lanes. Yeah. Good. I'd like to switch to page three. And well, first of all, uh, a macro commentary. I think Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank here and kind of a close call with First Republic. I think that not just community banks and regional banks, I think all banks, right up to the very largest, and we'll we'll start to see this as they announce their uh, their earnings and their 10 Qs, which starts happening later this week, that they're all going to lose deposits. So the Fed, by taking the Fed funds rate up so quickly, and the impact in the in the Treasury market has has basically caused a situation here where the likelihood of a recession is increased just because of the lack of credit. And so if that's true, and if we look at the history of the chip business, when demand goes down, inventory piles up. I was talking about this this morning with Mike, so we'll direct this question at Jason. Mike's view was that whether it's Taiwan Semiconductor, NVIDIA, AMD, you know, Intel, we, we, we think is just not, not too far behind. But those three, uh, all of which are you know, good performers, could they be hurt by a pileup in inventory? We've seen memory chips uh, where Samsung, I think, is the largest, is actually, you know, clo- closing plants or, or slowing their production down. So, Jason, uh, Mike, Mike's, when we discussed this this morning, because Mike and I talk 20 minutes every weekday morning, Mike said, oh, I think we're about halfway through any inventory adjustment in chips. But how does it look to you, Jason? Is that also your view? Yeah, it wouldn't be far from it. You know, the semiconductor cycles peaked, peaked, I guess, two years ago now, and, it, and it's already, it's already had a rough 2022. You know, Intel certainly had a lot of inventory issues, and, and Nvidia had a huge inventory issue. In Nvidia's case specifically, I think the saving grace is that you know we've been talking so much about these these generative AI models, and everyone's clamoring to get their hands on the hardware to do it. And I've actually seen reports where there's shortages of the cloud-hosted hardware so that companies aren't even able to train these algorithms. So, you know, if anyone's hurt the least, I, I suspect it's NVIDIA since their products are in so much demand. But some of the numbers out of Apple were this week, I think they reported that MacBook shipments were down 40%. And you just look at overall, the, the PC shipments have fallen off a cliff. So... You know, CPU suppliers, I think, are going to be in for some trouble. And then if if some of the other supplier, some of the other companies like Google uh, and Amazon, if Amazon's selling less retail goods, they'll have less money to invest in the the AWS capex and and less server spend. So I, I think certainly we'll see a lot of these companies impacted. And I think Mike has a good perspective on TSMC and how they handle contracts. 
and, and pre-orders from a lot of these fabulous semiconductor companies. So I don't know if you have something to add there. Yeah. The, the thing that I'd add is normally logic is less cyclical. It's still cyclical. In, NVIDIA got stuck with a ton of inventory, but it was mostly gaming inventory. So they had too much of the wrong stuff, essentially. So normally logic isn't subject to quite as much of the uh, boom and bust cycle as memory. Taiwan Semiconductor sort of flipped the model, the fabulous model on its head. The, the whole concept behind fabulous is that you wouldn't have to invest in all this capex in order to build production capacity. And when there was a huge shortage in chips, Taiwan Semiconductor went to their customers and said, hey, if we're going to guarantee you your ability to build this stuff, we want you to prepay and commit to certain volumes so that we're not left holding the bag at the end of the day. So ultimately, that ended up costing NVIDIA and a number of others quite a bit of money in order to get out of those contracts when they overpredicted what would happen in 2022. So Taiwan Semiconductor is somewhat insulated. Yeah. For, for a long time, they, they couldn't meet the demand of all their customers. Do you think, you know, as that's changing, then they, the, the power kind of shifts? TSMC might be out there trying to drum up business and they won't be able to demand these, these upfront payments like they have been. Well, I would say that if Samsung was competitive on the leading edge, then that would be the case. But so long as there's no true competitor. So, so again, it depends on which level of node that you're talking about. And I think that it's probably a lot more competitive when you're talking about nodes that compete not only with Samsung, but maybe some other players, but the nodes that they have no competition on, you know, that that's all you got. Right. Right. Just a little bit to wind up this week on the uh, interaction of Chinese tech industry and, and the tech industry in general, the Alibaba, well, Jack Ma finally got into a situation where he could return to China. I don't know that he's going to stay there too long. But simultaneous with his return, Alibaba said they were going to separate into five separate companies, all of which would in time come public on Chinese exchanges. The U.S. sanctions, which you know affect USML and, 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 and others who are shipping equipment in, presumably to make chips, presumably the Chinese will in time get to be more independent. Jason, the, is, is in time half a decade or how, how quickly do you think Chinese companies could make up for the fact that they can't buy the latest equipment from ASML? It's got to be more than five years. It's, it's got to be at least a decade, I think. There's a, there's a lot of really advanced technologies that go into building an ASML machine or just any of the equipment in a fab and you know they're they're so far behind because they they didn't have to build this stuff in the past and and now they're going to try to re-engineer it and there's there's single points of failure through the system all, all over and, and all over meaning you know different machines and, and different geographies the, the companies are spread across the world so i mean i, I don't it's going to be a, a huge challenge and you can't build these chips with if you're just missing one of these pieces right you think there's any way to leapfrog to figure out how to do this kind of differently or anything that 
it would pose a risk to kind of the dominance of you know boundaries and equipment outside of China? Well, uh, the industry has talked about moving away from silicon for for quite a while, and it, and no one, I don't, I don't think there's a real solid solution to to what comes next. You know, after we've hit the physical barriers that that we can do with silicon, quantum computers are obviously a a huge unknown for the future. Who who builds the the most powerful one of those, and and how quickly they can get there? I think those are maybe they'll arrive sooner than we expect. So, you know, if, if they can pour a lot of research into that, they can they can get a head start there and and that'll be extremely impactful for them. Right. Mike, you agree with the more than five years assessment there? Yes, but I I will also point out that this whole strategy of trying to prevent China from ha- utilizing some of this technology actually just encourages them to create their own and makes them less dependent on us, which also breaks down opportunities for peace too. So um, maybe I'm on my own on this opinion, but I think that the, the, the strategies we're pursuing are actually counterproductive from the perspective of maintaining peaceful relations, if that's the goal. Yeah, and it's, yeah. Not, it's not a one-way game. I think it's, it's setting up a very dangerous precedence where China has, has us in a pickle in, in other ways. Right. Yeah. Bearers or yeah, you named the commodity. Yeah. yeah. Just one other commentary on uh, things we've seen that get Mike and Jason. So Tesla announced a utility scale battery factory in Shanghai and is showing that, you know, in China or in Taiwan, you can build in half the time it takes in the U.S., way less permits and whatnot. And I'm not sure there are any environmental issues. I just think somehow we... We have to get to where things can be built quicker here. But I, I was expecting Tesla to, to build a car battery factory. It, it's not. In announcing it, they said they had a similar facility, either open or raid open or soon raid open in, in California. And here in both facilities, rather than making battery packs for cars, they're making a utility battery uh, packs. So... When you go through Tesla, that seems like, you know, rather a small part of their business. But I guess it's something that they feel they can develop an edge. And and in fact, we at Yorktown are in the business of uh, installing uh, utility-scale batteries. And I believe our latest set of batteries may be from Tesla rather than CATL or BYD. So I know the stock is too expensive. It was too expensive when it was 100 Certainly too expensive in it when it's you know in the one eighties or one nineties, but still very impressive how they can undertake these things and generally succeed. Now, utility scale batteries, you know, are 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 not the answer to wind and solar because uh, most of them are set for only about an hour discharge, sometimes two hours. So, uh, one of the things we'll get into next week, you know, unless something else comes up is how dependent our economy is going to be and really a worldwide economy on fossil fuels to to uh, backstop renewables. But that's for another day and we've run over. I, I was bragging this morning to Mike, uh, and I want to brag to Jason that our weather here is warmer than it is in San Diego. 
today and going to get warmer still. So we're in, we're in a position, all of us in the Northeast on the phone are in a position where we kind of can uh, claim that we, uh, uh, if you like warm weather, we're somewhat better off than San Diego is. I don't. I think at some point the weather will be too warm, and most people in San Diego don't have air conditioning. So I, I think we have a 30-day period here where we have bragging rights, and then and then then it'll turn around, and San Diego will have better weather. With that, everyone take care and stay well, and we'll talk next Wednesday. Bye bye. The views expressed on this podcast are the hosts alone and do not constitute an offer to sell or a recommendation to purchase or a solicitation of an offer to buy, any security nor a recommendation for any investment product or service. While certain information contained herein has been obtained from sources believed to be reliable, neither the hosts nor any of their employers or their affiliates have independently verified this information and its accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed. Accordingly, no representation or warranty expressed or implied is made as to and no reliance should be placed on the fairness, accuracy, timeliness, or completeness of this information. The hosts and all employers and their affiliated persons assume no liability for this information and no obligation to update the information or analysis contained herein in the future and may or may not hold positions in the securities mentioned.